This is Live Wired in Calgary. Hey everyone, welcome to the September edition of Live Wired in Calgary. I'm your host, Darren Kraus, editor at LiveWireCalgary.com. This show is done in partnership with the wonderful team here at CGSW 90.9 FM and recorded in studio at the University of Calgary on traditional Treaty 7 land. Have we got some good stuff on this month's show? Have you noticed that we are already getting campaign launches for the October 2021 municipal election? That's not next month, folks. That's more than a year from now. We'll talk with communications consultant and political strategist Alex Middleton about what he expects from the upcoming municipal campaign. We'll look at the controversy over the city's EMS dispatch in conversation with Magni Magnuson from the City of Calgary. We'll also look at COVID-19 in Alberta and the struggle for some to keep up with the changing information. Check out Livewire Calgary on social media, on Twitter at Livewire Calgary, on Instagram at Livewire underscore Calgary, and like us on Facebook. Last week, Councillor Diane Collier-Cart retold a story of a conversation with Alberta Health Minister Tyler Shandro over the province's plans to continue their EMS dispatch consolidation. She told councillors in last week's meeting... The conversation was both dismissive and confrontational. Those characterizations were refuted by the minister's office in an email to Livewire Calgary last week. The minister's press secretary, Steve Buick, said it wasn't confrontational beyond the fact that two elected officials disagree. Now, I wanted to go beyond the he said, she said, because it's difficult to prove that. And instead, I talked with City of Calgary Acting 911 Commander Magni Magnuson about what he sees as the problem with splitting out Calgary's EMS dispatch from fire and police. What will effectively change is that this, this will be the first time in history that, you know, uh, 911 calls for medical you know, will not be answered by Calgary 911. So, you know, as a point, uh, when, you know, Calgary 911 is, is the single point of answer for 911 emergency calls when you call 911. And depending on the service required, the, the caller is then transferred to specialized call takers, uh, whether it be police, fire, or EMS. And so the caller has direct access to um, uh, multi service resources. So the, the proposed non-integrated model basically requires us to transfer the call outside of the four walls of Calgary 911 Centre, which increases the risk of information or call loss resulting in unnecessary delays. So and obviously, as you know, in, in this business, every you know second that goes by without dispatching you know, help of the, the appropriate responders can impact uh, outcomes for our citizens. So, and, you know, furthermore, with, with the proposed model, I mean, they have three call centers across Alberta, um, you know, and sometimes, you know, calls, you know, in the AHS model might not be answered in Calgary. They could be answered in Edmonton or Peace River, where, you know, their call takers might not be as well versed in local geography uh, and then, you know, able to pinpoint, say, you know, landmarks that would be known to, you know, our call takers here in Calgary, but maybe not to one in, in Peace River. So some of that local knowledge will be lost. And I think ultimately... What is lost is is the coordination of the response. So you can imagine that you know there's a lot of calls that 
strictly require, you know, a police officer or, or an ambulance. But, you know, a lot of calls, in fact, thousands of calls every year require all three services or, or a combination of services. And some of that might be lost uh, in this transition where we don't, in Calgary 911, we're kind of uniquely positioned with that, that situational awareness, that lens of the overall response. And we're able to activate, you know, all the appropriate responders a little bit sooner than they could if, if the call was transferred outside of our center and then they realize they need police, so they have to transfer it back to us to activate those uh, resources. Right. So, so if you could just give me the anatomy of a nine one one call. When I call in, um, it gets picked up by a nine one one operator. Um, kind of tell me how it's handled from there. So yeah, so they'll uh, basically say, you know, for what city nine one one for what city? You say police, fire, or EMS, and then depending if if it's for uh, police or uh, EMS we would transfer the call to a specialized call taker who would then further evaluate the call and uh, determine, you know, what was happening based on a, a series of very sort of structured protocol questions. Uh, and that helped us determine sort of the uh, priority of the response. And then that gets sent to our dispatchers who dispatch the appropriate resources. And so what I'm hearing from you is that instead of keeping that, like you said, in four walls where you have, uh, the the fire response, the potential police response, uh, and EMS response. Now that that's that's going to go be sent to a external dispatch, which will then be sent back to Calgary, whatever um, dispatch unit or whatever unit needs to be dispatched. Um, and then you don't know if if the appropriate fire or police response will be activated? Is is that sort of the issue? Center, we might not know what's actually happening on that event. So uh, in, in today's environment, um, we, we have our folks side by side and, and we have uh, a situational awareness. We have leads that are kind of monitoring what's going on. And uh, we have the ability to, I think, more quickly activate like so let's say somebody calls 911 because of a medical issue and then we learn through the interrogation of that caller that the medical issue was actually an assault or a fall and maybe there was maybe there was a crime that occurred or maybe there's a there's a scene safety concern that police need to attend to um if that call was transferred outside of our center they would then have to call us back to get the police to respond whereas in our center we're quite often able to activate that response much more quickly. At what point are those interrogative questions asked? Is it not at that first point of contact when a person goes, what city, police, fire, or uh, uh, EMS? They don't ask for details at that point? So, yeah, at that point, and, and then if, if they do... Um... If they do say medical, we do ask one more screening question, which is, is there violence? And if there's violence, then we will immediately do police in. Uh, unfortunately, however, um, that's just not always the way information is shared with us from callers. I and mean, we're often dealing with people that are in crisis situation. Uh, and they don't always share that with us initially. Uh, and so sometimes it's, it's only during the further interrogation of the caller. And in, the, and in this scenario, it would be once it's maybe outside of our walls that will learn that uh, additional responders such as police or fire might be required. And at that point, they would have to kind of push the call back to us. I don't want to oversimplify this at all. 
but would we just be able to add a question in that initial initial interrogation um, as we're kind of triaging that call when it first comes in so we can determine that and so that 911 dispatcher can trigger the appropriate responses? So we, we can absolutely add more questions to the front end of the call before we transfer them out, but I'm sure you can appreciate that's kind of what we're talking about in terms of it, it adds time to uh, ultimately getting the call out the door to EMS. Right. So it's all a fine balance around, you know, what, what do we ask up front or, or versus what comes to light during the, the regular interrogation of the caller that allows us to determine, you know, really ultimately what resources do we need to get there first you know, for example, if, if you have, you know, violence or a weapon on scene, we need to send police there because uh, the paramedics aren't going to enter this, uh, a scene that has, you know, a weapon. Right. And so if, if we don't get that um, information up front, it just ultimately causes delays to the citizen getting the help that they need. I'm just going to read you here what, what Steve Buick from Alberta Health had uh, said to me yesterday. He goes, I believe the way the system works is that the 911 dispatchers already, in effect, press a button to transfer a call to EMS. They transfer it to a city EMS dispatcher. Instead, they'll push a button, then it'll go to the AHS EMS dispatcher. And I believe the integrated systems are still free to dispatch fire regardless, so there's no delay in dispatching fire if the service chooses to dispatch fire first. Do you do you see it the same way? No, I mean I, I think I think I think the point is that you know in, in, in a routine call sometimes you know when everything's working as it should that that may or may not be the case. Well, that that should be the case, but really um, what's lost is that, that the call has now gone out of our center. So we we do have a link between our police and fire systems, or sorry, our fire and EMS systems that do allow us to request uh, either agency. I mean, fire might have a call that they require EMS on. Let's say they went to, uh, you know, a chemical spill and somebody, they found somebody with a burn or something. You know, we, 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 can, we can do that. Um, that link does sometimes go down. And so being side by side, having our dispatchers side by side, we're often able to either quickly identify that so that we, uh, you know, they, they hear each other and say, uh, you know, I, I heard that you had a call where there's a patient and I don't see it on my board yet. And then you realize that the link is down. So being side by side gives them that um, ability to, to pick up on things far more quickly. There is no such link between the, the police uh, incident system and in the medical system. And that accounts for a lot of calls as well. So uh, there, there are some technology fixes that definitely, you know, provide us with greater interoperability. They're not perfect and really nothing's going to replace our, our folks being face-to-face -face and side-by-side -side and, and able to uh, summon the appropriate resources to uh, help our citizens. So one of the things that Alberta Health has pointed out in doing this is that there's been virtually no change in Edmonton. Now, I often get in these situations that, well, Edmonton and Calgary, you can't compare them. They're, it's like apples to oranges. Um, but when we're talking about the dispatch of EMS uh, and they are still able to meet the response time targets, they have actually a slightly better response time, according to the province. Are we focused on that kind of... Um, group effort, uh, whereas Alberta Health perhaps is focused on 
um, EMS and how we can make them more efficient? Yeah, I think I think you've I think you've kind of nailed it there. I mean, I think you know EHS raises you know some really good points about you know their own ability to to manage their resources, but we're looking at this from from a broader lens of citizen safety and, and responder safety. And so, you know, what what is lost in in that model is is that sort of tri services view of the whole event and the ability to make sure that we get all of the the appropriate resources to a call as quickly as possible or as as appropriately as possible. Right Right now, if we transfer a call to EMS, I mean, if they don't notify us that there's violence, uh, we we might not really know about it. Uh, And then, you know, there's a possibility that there there may have been a police matter where police weren't dispatched in an appropriate time frame to, for example, investigate, you know, a crime that may have happened. That's kind of where our model, I think, is uh, ultimately better for our citizens and our ability to see this from the the bigger picture. I'm trying to get a sense now after after talking with you. I mean, I, I sort of had the idea that that this was what was the issue, the 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 tri services approach as opposed to. I mean, what amounts to, in some ways, working in in silos. Um, These are my resources. I'm going to use them. Um, The city of Calgary says, well, these are my resources. I'm going to use them. And that disconnect there is a potential problem. But I'm trying to get a sense, and maybe you have a better idea, how many, I mean, you guys deal with, with hundreds of thousands of calls annually. How many of these calls do you think this would affect? A specific number would be in the tens of thousands for sure. Um, you know, I can tell you in a given year, you know, over 15,000 calls require police, fire, and EMS. So that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of calls where, you know, we, we need to make sure that, you know, police are there or, or fire is there sometimes for scene safety to make sure that, you know, uh, you know, the bad guys are taken care of or that, you know, a vehicle that's involved in a car accident has been stabilized. There's, there's a lot of, you know, there's different roles that the different agencies play, and we need to make sure that we have a coordinated response to all, all emergencies. Just as this month's show is being recorded, Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi, along with representatives from Wood Buffalo, Red Deer and Lethbridge, are all travelling to Edmonton to have a conversation with Health Minister Tyler Shandro. It's expected that more on this will come out Monday. This is our moment to unleash Calgary's potential. I'm here because I want to help you write the next chapter of opportunity in Calgary's remarkable story. The best city in the best province in the best country in the world. My name is Jeremy Farkas, and I'm asking to be your next mayor. And so the battle for Calgary City Council begins. We've already profiled a few would-be candidates at LiveWireCalgary.com. Anna Murphy in Ward 8, Common Proud Foot in Ward 12, and most recently Kim Tyers vying to replace Joe Maglioka in Ward 2, and Courtney Brannigan, who hopes to scoop up the Ward 11 seat that will be vacated by Jeremy Farkas. To me, it feels a little bit too early. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm ready to talk about municipal election, but it looks like I'm going to be immersed in it. I've been covering these municipal elections in Calgary since about 2007, and while you get the odd campaign announcement... This is pretty early. My next guest, though, has some great insight into the Calgary municipal election scene. And here's our conversation. I'm here now with Alex Middleton. He is a... 
communications consultant and political strategist with Champion Communications. Alex, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, it's good to chat with you, Darren. Thanks for having me on. So, Alex, obviously we've had a, uh, a situation here uh, which maybe isn't completely um, unheard of, but we have candidates who are 13 months in advance announcing their campaign intentions for the October 2021 elections. Maybe off the top, uh, what do you make of that early announcement and, and I guess, candidates positioning themselves for uh, the 2021 election? Yeah, I, I don't think it's too unusual. I think, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, you're looking at the crystal ball for the 2021 municipal elections, it sounds like a number of uh, current incumbents on city council are positioning themselves to run for the mayoral seat. And I think there'll probably be historical number of openings for candidates to run in empty uh, ridings. And I think a lot of them, both on the a more conservative and progressive side uh, want to announce a little bit early. So I guess in the hope that they would muscle out any potential competition. So, I mean, you mentioned the fact that there would be, you know, a likely conservative and progressive sort of maybe theme to this. Is is that what you would expect from the upcoming municipal campaign? Are we going to start to see that sort of line being drawn, I guess, in the in the political landscape here at City Hall? I think so. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm always very happy that we don't have a party system in municipal elections here. But you're obviously going to have um, some people who are uh, either supported from uh, progressives or supported by conservatives. And if you look at some of their um, political affiliations or their, you know, their work history, you know, they'll, they'll probably fit in one or one of those two categories. I mean, I think if you look at, uh, and I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, who's running, who announced last week to run in Ward Two. Uh, I mean, she works for um, Michelle Rempel in Michelle Rempel's office. I think that's pretty easy to, you know, uh, paint this individual with a conservative brush. Uh, then you look at somebody like uh, Courtney Brannigan, who's announced this week, uh, who is running an 11. And I would think that she's probably, you know, more of a moderate and more of a progressive Um and I suspect that they both announced early, uh, like Farkas did for mayor, to put down a marker and get as many people as possible on their teams and uh, suck up any oxygen that anybody else has who's been thinking about running uh, in these writings or running for the mayoral seat. Alex, what do you think is going to define this municipal election? I think like a lot of the past elections, but maybe even more acutely this time, is uh, the economy. I'm obviously where our economy is pretty stagnant. You know, there's a lot of economic uncertainty. Uh, a lot of people, you know, in this city and across the province are, are, are you know, concerned and worried about, you know, how they're going to put food on the table with what, whether they have any job security. So I think that, uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, economic issues, taxation issues are probably going to define the 2021 municipal election. I'm speaking with Alex Middleton. He is a communications consultant and political strategist with Champion Communications. Alex, we have seen sort of the tenor, sort of the the, the discourse change, um, and, and I would argue maybe not for the better here in the past uh, few years. It's become a little bit more polarized, a little bit more uh, always on the attack. Is that something you expect to see in this upcoming municipal election? 
Yeah, I think so. I think there's going to be a very bruising, probably very nasty election. And I think especially amongst those who are vying for, for the mayor seat. I mean, you know, Farkas has uh, come out early, which I think is, you know, probably a pretty smart move. If you look at what he did when he announced that he was running for council in Ward 11, he announced early. He had about a year head start compared to some of the other councillors uh, or councillor candidates. And I think that he was looking to get that conservative support. But you know, we've got Farkas coming out early. I would imagine Jeff Davison will probably announce pretty soon. There's rumors that Jody Gondank will announce pretty soon. And, you know, don't forget, these are sitting councillors who have, you know, 12 months to go on their term that are representing their ridings. Now, <laughs> you know, uh, we have a, a pretty contentious city hall right now. And I think that's even going to get worse, you know, when they're grandstanding or they're trying to get media attention and they're supposed to be working with their council colleagues, but these their their, their council colleagues are going to be running for mayor. I think it's going to get very nasty. I mean, if you look with at Farkas, for example, you know, he has been very critical. He's been uh, accused of grandstanding. He's said some very inflammatory things uh, about his fellow city councillors. Uh, that's not getting better. That's going to get much, much worse. And it pains me to say it, but I think that we're going to see the same things on on on, on council level writings. Like, I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, a very very hot campaign. So, I mean, you you alluded to it earlier, and you did also in this one. There's a there's a really strong chance that we're going to see a major turnover here on city council this year. Uh, we've got folks like like Ray Jones, uh, you know, and and others who are not going to be running. There's going to be a lot of open seats if we do have Councillor Gondek, Councillor Davison also deciding to join the mayoral race. We could have half of council, as much as half of council, open for uh, newcomers uh, on the political scene. Do you see this as a good thing or are there potential pitfalls? I would say probably even more than 50% of the writings are going to be empty. And uh, I would love to think that people who are running for office realize that we're in kind of an unprecedented situation with, with COVID and the economic stagnation in this province. And I would love to see that they would work together despite their political differences and their political affiliation to, to move this city forward. But some of the names of the people that are kind of banding about running, I just don't see that in their physical makeup. You know, you see Craig Chandler, who is uh, talking about running a slate of candidates. Would Craig Chandler and, say, uh, Georgia Hall or would Craig Chandler and a more progressive uh, candidate or city councillor uh, in the, you know, the city center ridings uh, get along? Would they be able to put aside their differences? I would hope so, but I don't think historically, when you see some of the, the communications out of these individuals, that that's actually going to happen. You know, I mean, it, it's frustrating being involved in politics for as long as I've been, is that, you know, in no other workforce would this, this, this behavior, this antagonistic behavior, this, you know, pot shots at your colleagues in the media, would pot shots at your colleagues on social, social media be acceptable. But unfortunately, that is a political world we live in, in the political environment that we operate in. Alex, I'm going to put you on the hot seat here. Do you expect current mayor Nahed Nenshi to run again? <laughs> um, if I was a betting man, I would say no. I expect that he would not run again. I think that, you know, three terms he's run and his, uh, his popularity has decreased every uh, single term. 
um, I think it's probably time for uh, fresh blood and uh, a new voice in the mayor's seat. Uh, would I say that I'm excited about any of the candidates that are running right now? I would say I'm not. Uh, but I still think there is an opportunity for somebody to come along and uh, kind of take up Mayor Nancy's torch. Alex Middleton, communications consultant and political strategist from Champion Communications. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Darren. Check out Livewire Calgary on social media, on Twitter at Livewire Calgary, on Instagram at Livewire underscore Calgary, and like us on Facebook. I've got my mask here in studio with me. I wore it while I was meeting with the new spoken word director here at CJSW. I squirted hand sanitizer on my hands when I first entered CJSW. I squirted it again when I began working on the equipment, and I will wipe down the equipment with Sani wipes after I'm done. My children wear masks to school. In public, we wear masks to the Calgary stores we visit, the restaurants we go to, and inevitably there's a fresh mask hanging on a hook in one of our vehicles or at home. My wife's even gotten to almost mass-producing these cute little cloth masks for us to wear fashionably. We choose to do this kind of thing as a base precaution during COVID-19. Now, we may not be as good at physical distancing or avoiding larger groups, but we're doing our best. And so far, so good. But not a day goes by that my wife and I don't have a conversation about the latest information on COVID-19 in Calgary, in Alberta, in BC, in sports, in recreation, in the US, and of course, the information on Facebook. Let's face it, folks, getting information there is commonplace. And by information, you can't see my air quotes. But when we picked up our kids from school the other day, we struck up a conversation with one of the other moms. It went something like this. Oh, I'm glad that kids can do, insert COVID protocol here. Oh, really? I've heard that they're now able to do, insert COVID protocol here. Yeah, that, insert COVID protocol, is only in BC or Saskatchewan or Ontario. What we've been doing is, insert COVID protocol here. Yeah, that seems like a good idea, but we have to do that. It's also confusing. There's so much information. Does that sound like a conversation that you've had recently? Everyone's reading different sources, with different information, with different conclusions. While Alberta seems to be caught up in this panic and fear over COVID cases in more than 100 schools, with 1,850 cases reportedly logged, a report from the Washington Post, a reputable news organization, shows that in the United States, where COVID protocols have been dubious at best, early results show that they aren't seeing the cases they'd feared specifically in school transmissions. And while it certainly is startling to hear 100 schools and 1,850 cases in Alberta, there are more than 2,400 schools and 750,000 students across the province, thousands more teachers. So while the numbers are cause for one to turn their head, when looked at relative to the overall volume of schools, students, and teachers, it's just a fraction and we're nearing one full month in classes. What I'm saying here is the information on COVID-19 is fluid, and it's location-based. What's happening in one part of the province, country, 
or world isn't always reflective of what's happening here. We have to rely on local information and local protocol provided by the City of Calgary or Alberta Health. You can always look it up if you have questions. Let's avoid relying on the Facebook comment section if we can. I know it's tough to keep up with everything going on and the information that's thrown at us. It seems like every single day there's something new and we hear it from, from Dr. Hinshaw, you know, from Dr. Hedju, from D- Dr. Tam, you know, all of these different medical professionals who we trust. So it's difficult. It's confusing. But it's best to be informed with the most reliable local information we have. But there's no doubt, it's confusing. That puts the lid on another show. September was such an exciting month. Thanks so much to Magni Magnuson from the City of Calgary and Alex Middleton from Champion Communications. It was so good of them to spend their time with me for this show. A quick programming note for October. There may be a few changes with regard to programs aired during CJSW's annual fundraising drive. We're always happy to lend our voice to the cause, and to that end, next month's show might be geared to that effort. We hope you'll join us a month from now. In the meantime, take care, stay safe, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 